Welcome back to The Daily Poem. I'm David Kern, and today is Thursday, May 20th, 2021. Today's poem is by an English poet and playwright who was born in May of 1812, so another May birthday poet here. It's Robert Browning. He lived from 1812 until 1889, and it was one of the most important Victorian poets. He was an extremely influential poet on many of the people who came after him. If you were to just look at a long list of admirers, of people who loved his work, who were motivated and inspired by his work, they would include people like, oh, I don't know, Henry James, Oscar Wilde, George Bernard Shaw, Chesterton, Ezra Pound, Nabokov, uh, even Stephen King has suggested that he was influential. Plus, there's Thomas Hardy and T.S. Eliot and Rudyard Kipling. Um, I could go on and on. One of the most important poets of the last 200 years. And I could choose... You know, there's any number of poems that I could choose by Robert Browning. In fact, I may do another one tomorrow because I haven't done enough of him on the podcast um, and he deserves a closer look. But the one that I chose, the one that I'm going to do today is called Love Among the Ruins. It's like many of his poems, a bit long, but not his longest. I'll keep my comments short, but I did want to share it with you. It's from 1855 and it's from a collection called Men and Women. And it's got a very interesting form. If you want to look it up, I I recommend you do that. Visually, it's an interesting poem. We've got couplets, but the first line of each couplet is much longer. The second line is only just a couple of words, a couple of of syllables. And and that's throughout the whole poem. This is, again, a super influential poem. There's a Edward Burns Jones painting that was inspired by it. Evelyn Waugh, the great novelist who wrote Brideshead Revisited, he wrote a novel in 1953 with that same title. There was a TV movie with Catherine Hepburn and Laurence Olivier that was inspired by that. There's also an episode of Mad Men, the the recent American television series that was inspired by that, and uh, much more. So, Love Among the Ruins by Robert Browning. Where the quiet colored end of evening smiles, miles and miles on the solitary pastures where our sheep half asleep tinkle homeward through the twilight, stray or stop as they crop, was the sight once of a city great and gay, so they say, of our country's very capital. Its prince ages since held his court in, gathered councils, wielding far peace or war. Now the country does not even boast a tree. As you see, to distinguish slopes of verdure, certain rills from the hills intersect and give a name to or else they run into one, where the domed and daring palace shot its spires up like fires, or the hundred-gated circuit of a wall bounding all made of marble. Men might march on, nor be pressed twelve abreast. And such plenty and perfection, see, of grass never was, such a carpet as this summertime o'erspreads and embeds every vestige of the city, guest alone, stock or stone, where a multitude of men breathed joy and woe long ago. Lust of glory pricked their hearts up, dread of shame struck them tame, and that glory and that shame alike the gold bought and sold. Now, the single little turret that remains on the plains, by the caper overrooted, by the gourd overscored, while the patching house leak's head of blossom winks through the chinks, marks the basement whence a tower in ancient time sprang sublime and a burning ring all around the chariots traced as they raced and the monarch and his minions and his dames viewed the games and i know while thus the quiet colored eve smiles to leave to their folding all our many tinkling fleece in such peace 
and the slopes and rills in undistinguished gray melt away. That a girl with eager eyes and yellow hair waits me there in the turret whence the charioteers caught soul for the goal. When the king looked where she looks now, breathless, dumb, till I come. But he looked upon the city, every side, far and wide, all the mountains topped with temples, all the glades, colonnades, all the causes, bridges, aqueducts, and then all the men. When I do come, she will speak not. She will stand, either hand on my shoulder. Give her eyes the first embrace of my face, and we rush, and we extinguish sight and speech, each on each. In one year, they sent a million fighters forth, south and north, and they built their gods a brazen pillar high as the sky, yet reserved a thousand chariots in full force. Gold, of course. O oh, heart, O oh, blood that freezes, blood that burns, earth's returns for whole centuries of folly, noise, and sin. Shut them in with their triumphs and their glories and the rest. Love is best. I've read that people th see this poem as being a little disjointed um, in, in terms of reading it out loud. But I think it flows really interestingly. There's a great energy to it. And Browning does such a good job controlling the pace of the reader that if you're just paying attention to the cues, I, th I think it flows really well. It is disjointed in the sense that he starts a sentence introduces some new idea and then has to come back around to it. And so you have to kind of listen carefully to the complete the completed thought. But I think that's in keeping with the way people remember things. People often remember things through illusions or, you know, one thing leads to another, I guess is a one is the simplest way of putting it. You think about one thing and before you get back around to thinking about what that meant or completing the thought, you've had some other memory get introduced to your to your consciousness, some other image get introduced to your consciousness and you have to cleanse it. You have to get it out. You have to express it. I think it's really interesting the way he plays with that here. As with many poems from the era, this is a poem that has to do with both love and, and glory. Um, it's, as with many poems from the era, it's a poem about some great place that no longer is. We of course have a, a speaker who is overlooking a pasture where sheep are. And he claims that once upon a time, there was this ancient great place here, this beautiful place with temples and a capital city and all those sorts of things. It was a grand place. But then he talks about how there's a girl with eager eyes that waits for him there, but she's quote, looks now breathless, dumb till I come, which of course is suggestive of, for me anyway, of a statue. Maybe this, the last remaining thing that's there, perhaps. And in the end, he says, all those grand turrets and the temples and everything were nothing compared to, to the girl who waits for him, to, to the one he loved. I mentioned that there was a painting by Edward Burns Jones, Edward Byrne Jones, rather, from 1873 that was inspired by this poem. And in that painting, you've got uh, two young Romeo and Juliet-esque lovers with instruments amidst um, a temple, a temple garden. It looks like a temple, some, some grand building in the garden, and they're clinging to one another. You can find it on Wikipedia pretty easily, just online. It's a very a beautiful painting from the era. 
one that you have probably actually seen before. And in both that painting and in this poem, one of the things that I find so interesting is he concludes with this idea that love is best. And yet throughout the whole poem, there is this longing for the grandeur of the city, for the beauty of this capital city. He acknowledges what a great loss it is that it no longer exists, even as he is amidst, uh, you know, a beautiful pasture with, with sheep. So I like the way the poem has a bit of a gray area in it. There's a little bit of mystery left in it because he is clearly enamored by the magic of the place. Even though in his conclusion, he says, well, love is best. So maybe what he's saying is love is actually that best, is actually that great. It's, it's so much better than a beautiful city. Or maybe his memory and his emotions are playing with him. It's a long poem, so I'll read it one more time. If you want to just skip the rest of this episode, I would understand, because I know it's getting a little longer than what I like to do. But here is Love Among the Ruins one more time. Where the quiet colored end of evening smiles, miles and miles on the solitary pastures where our sheep, half asleep, tinkle homeward through the twilight, stray or stop as they crop, was the sight once of a city great and gay, so they say, of our country's very capital. Its prince ages since held his court in, gathered councils, wielding far peace or war. Now the country doesn't even boast a tree, as you see, to distinguish slopes of verdure. Certain rills from the hills intersect and give a name to, or else they run into one, where the domed and daring palace shot its spires up like fires or the hundred-gated circuit of a wall, bounding all made of marble. Men might march on, nor be pressed twelve abreast. And such plenty and perfection, see, of grass never was. Such a carpet as this summertime o'erspreads and embeds every vestige of the city, guest alone, stock or stone, where a multitude of men breathed joy and woe long ago. Lust of glory pricked their hearts up, dread of shame struck them tame, and that glory and that shame alike the gold bought and sold. Now, the single little turret that remains on the plains, by the caper overrooted, by the gourd overscored, while the patching house-leek's head of blossom winks through the chinks, marks the basement whence a tower in ancient time sprang sublime. And a burning ring all round, the chariots traced as they raced, and the monarch and his minions and his dames viewed the games. And I know, while thus the quiet-colored eve smiles to leave to their folding, all our many tinkling fleece in such peace, and the slopes and rills and undistinguished gray melt away, that a girl with eager eyes and yellow hair waits me there in the turret whence the charioteers caught soul for the goal, when the king looked where she looks now, breathless, dumb, till I come. But he looked upon the city, every side, far and wide, all the mountains topped with temples, all the glades colonnades, all the causes, bridges, aqueducts, and then all the men. When I do come, she will speak not. She will stand, either hand on my shoulder, give her eyes the first embrace of my face, ere we rush, ere we extinguish sight and speech, each on each. In one year they sent a million fighters forth, south and north, and they built their gods a brazen pillar high as the sky, yet reserved a thousand chariots in full force. Gold, of course. O oh, heart, 
O blood that freezes, blood that burns, earth returns for whole centuries of folly, noise, and sin. Shut them in with their triumphs and their glories and the rest. Love is best. This has been the Daily Poem, which is presented by Goldberry Studios. Logan Green is in charge of all our post-production. I'm David Kern, and we'll be back tomorrow with another poem for you. Thanks for listening.